You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Good morning, church. Uh, like Ben, uh, I'm also jet lagged, so forgive me if I mix up days and nights uh, on this time. I was actually, Daquan was laughing at me uh, yesterday as we were coming back on the flight. I didn't take a computer or anything with me, so I was on my phone typing up the sermon while I had my Bible open on the airplane. And so when I got to my notes this morning, I realized I misspelled a lot of words, so I had to, uh, had to make some edits. But uh, uh, we're thankful to be back. We're thankful to be with you this morning, church. Uh, my name is Wesley, one of the pastors here, and uh, thank you for joining us on really what is a a very unique and special Sunday, as Ben mentioned. Uh, today is the last Sunday we're going to be worshiping here at Basis DC. And that br- both brings uh, an incredible amount of excitement, but also uh, a lot of gratitude for this building, uh, for the school, uh, for how they've blessed us over the years. We're, we're thankful to have a, a new location just down the road at Penn Social and as we've kind of been transitioning these past few weeks uh, from this meeting space to our new meeting space, we've kind of decided to really focus in on the church, who we are, what does it mean to be a part of the church, uh, what does it mean to, to, to live as a community. Last week, we focused on the church gathering together as that community, what it looks like to be a part of that gathering. We talked last week, it's about being a family, a household of God, being built together as stones into the temple of God. And this morning, we're going to focus on kind of part two of that, the outward mission of the church. How as we gather for community, we then scatter into this world for a particular mission. Now, the question then is, what is our mission as the church? If we have something that we're supposed to scatter for, then what does that look like? When you hear the word mission, there may be a few things that come into your mind. Some of you are thinking of the bar and Navy Yard, and no, that is not what we're talking about today, okay? (laughs) Although there's a lot of mission that needs to go on there, amen? Um, But uh, bless bless those who were there last night. Um, (laughs) You may also think of mission trips or professional missionaries. This is what happens when you don't have a lot of sleep. You go off the cuff. <laughs> uh, you think of personal or like professional missionaries or mission trips, kind of what we heard from our trip to Lebanon. Here's, a, here's my favorite picture of the trip because we posed like we were on a cover of like a 2000 uh, you know, album in the early 2000s or something. Uh, just so, so great. Um, I don't even know what Meg's doing in the photo, but uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful reminder of our team and all the complexities of this team. But, but perhaps when you think of the word mission, you think of that. You think of, okay, it means that we pack up our bags and we travel thousands of miles into a context that's not our own, and we go to serve the people there. We go to help those in need in that context. Well, what I want to offer you today is that mission is, is much bigger than that, and it's also much narrower than that. In one sense, the idea of mission comes from the Latin word missio, which literally means to be sent. And when we look at the, the ministry of Jesus, and today we're actually going to go and look at the ministry of Jesus as he calls his first disciples in Luke chapter 5. We're going to see that he calls them to be sent as he was sent. And at the end of his ministry, in his, his prayer, at the end of uh, the, the gospel of John, we see Jesus actually praying for the church. And as he prays for the church, what does he pray for? That we would be sent into the world. This idea of mission is really uh, true to, the, to who we are as humans. It's not just a Christian idea. In essence, to be human is to have some form of mission in life. Mission simply meaning that we attach ourselves to something that is greater than us, something that's more important than our comforts in life, something that we're willing to sacrifice for. 
To be a mission is simply to say that we want to join a movement or a calling that actually makes a difference in the brokenness of this world. And all of us have this ingrained in our humanity, that to be human is essentially to be on some form of mission. But when Jesus comes on the scene and he calls his early disciples, and then later as the church models this, we see that Jesus just doesn't, he doesn't come into this world and say, well, just go out in mission in general terms. He doesn't just come and say, well, try to make a positive impact in this world. Go do some good things for others. When Jesus comes on the scene in his ministry and he calls us as his disciples, the church, to follow him, what he's calling us is actually to partner in his mission in this world. In essence, what we'll find today in the scriptures is that he wants us to partner in his specific and particular mission in this world that he has created and redeemed. He calls the church, us, to partner in his work in this world today. To be ambassadors, to be missionaries, to be the sent out ones. That concept of being an ambassador is to, is to go to a foreign land and to represent the interest of your country is to accurately portray the truth of who your people are, the government that you support, so that the people in that foreign land can see an accurate display of who you, your country is. In the same way, we are called to be these ambassadors, these sit-out ones into this world that displays who our Lord is, to participate specifically in his work in this world, to represent him in our city and our world. That's what we're going to do today. We're actually going to look at three particular stories in the early parts of Jesus' ministry that are going to really give us a blueprint to what it looks like for a church to be on mission, to scatter into this world. And here they are, our three points from our text today. Number one, we're sent out as participants. Number two, we're sent out to those in need. Number three, we're sent out to bring people to Jesus. Let's look at our first point today. We're sent out as participants. Uh, just picking up right at the beginning of Luke chapter 5, as Vanessa just read, in verse 1, it gives us some context what's happening here. It says, on one occasion when the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Jesus has these crowds coming, they're following him, they want to hear his teaching, they want to hear what he has to say, and so he literally gets in Simon's boat and he says, hey, push me out a little bit because I need some breathing room in order to teach here the people who are gathered by the sea. And then we see what happens next in verse 4. And we had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come in and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And what's happening here is pretty miraculous. This isn't just an old fish tale. Jesus comes on the scene and he tells these fishermen, hey, go cast your nets. And Peter looks a little bit uh, questioning Jesus' motives here, and he's saying, hey, we're the professional fishermen here. We've been fishing all night. This has been a bad fishing day. We haven't caught anything. This is not the ideal time to fish, but, but we're going to obey your word anyways. 
And what's happening is they cast out their nets and something miraculous happens. They have such a big haul of fish that literally it begins to sink their boats. And again, these are not amateurs. These are professional fishermen. They would know how to fish. And yet here, Jesus in one instance, in one word, provides the biggest catch of fish they had ever seen in their lives. And then Peter realizes that he's in the presence of someone superior to him. And not just a superior fisherman, someone who has superior power. And his response is he falls down at the knees of Jesus and he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But Jesus answers him and says, do not be afraid for now on you'll be catching men. What is happening here? See, what's happening in this moment is Jesus meets Peter and Peter realizes that he has a little bit of an identity crisis. Because when you come into the presence of someone who is superior than you, you begin to realize things about yourself that you never thought of before. In this moment, Peter begins to realize his frailty. He begins to realize his, his littleness compared to the surpassing power that Jesus has displayed in this moment. And it causes a crisis within him. Now, we all have these moments in life. Perhaps it's when you went off to college and you were class president of your high school and you had a high GPA and you thought you were the smartest student and you walk up on that college campus and you realize there's a lot of class presidents on the campus, right? There's a lot of people who have higher GPAs than you and you realize, wow, I wasn't as smart as I thought I was because you're in the presence of someone smarter than you. Perhaps you were like me and you were an athlete growing up, or at least you thought you were an athlete growing up, until you got (laughs) in the presence of people who were superior at sports than you, who went on to play professional, and you're like, wow, I'm really not athletic at all, right? When we get in the presence of someone greater than us, it shakes us to our core. Because the things that we thought were special to us, the things that we thought were such a big part of our identity, we realize that they're not as special. We realize they're not that great. And it humbles us. It brings us in a little bit of identity crisis, and that's precisely what's happening here when Peter meets Jesus. He's realizing that Jesus is infinitely more beautiful, and that he's perhaps not as beautiful as he thought he was. He's realizing that Jesus is infinitely more wise, and he's not as smart as he thought he was. He's seeing the infinite goodness and power of Jesus, and he's realizing his own flaws and sin. You see, when we get near to the greatness of God, this is exactly what happens. And Peter says, not, wow, Jesus, that was incredible. Do it again. Peter says, get away from me. Depart from me. I can't be in your presence. Because in this moment, Peter, for the first time, is getting a real picture of himself. And when we get near to Jesus, that's perhaps precisely what happens. We realize that we've been grading our lives on a curve. We realize that we've been using the wrong measuring stick to live up to the standards that we've set for ourselves. We realize we're not as good as we thought we were. That perhaps even the best things about us are self-centered. And what does Jesus say in this moment to Peter? He doesn't say, yeah, you are sinful, leave me. He doesn't look at Peter and say, hey, you should probably take some of my courses because if you learn some things, you might be better, right? (laughs) No, he looks at Peter and says, I want you to live with me. I want you to be part of my family. I want you to follow me. I I I want you to actually be a part of what I am doing in this world. You see, when you meet Jesus and you come face to face with him, you have to come face to face with the fact that you're perhaps not as good as you thought you were. And that's painful. It's a painful reality to to realize that the things that we identify most with in life fall short. But in that same moment when you come face to face with Jesus and you realize how small you are, you also realize how great he is. You realize his infinite value and love and the way in which he affirms you in ways you could never imagine. That's why he looks at Peter and he doesn't say, yeah, you're sinful. He says, don't be afraid. He looks at him and he says, here's my grace for you. 
I want you to actually partner in the work that I'm doing. I want to pick you up by the hand and I want you to follow me. I want you to be a part of the mission that I have set out in this world. And what does Peter and the other guys do? They leave everything and they follow him. Now I thought about that. What did they actually leave on the shore at this moment? They're not just leaving the boats. They're not just leaving their, their nets. They're leaving the catch as well. Like think about this for a moment. Peter just had the best economic success of his life. This is the biggest economic gain he has ever had in his entire professional fishing career. Like this is the moment of his professional career, the best work that he's ever had, and he's willing to leave it all behind to follow Jesus. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, it doesn't mean that we necessarily have to leave our vocation and, and become full-time missionaries somewhere, right? That's not what he's calling here. But what it does mean for us, and what it at least allows us to think about, is that when we come face-to-face with Jesus, he changes everything about us, not just our private life, but also our public life, including our vocations, including the things that we prioritize in life. You see, when we begin to prioritize Jesus and we begin to to fall in relationship with him, he becomes the most important thing in every single area of our life, which leads to ultimate freedom. Because one of the major components that we find identity, in in D.C. specifically, we find identity in is our work. It's our vocation. It's our accomplishments. It's our career goals. And these are not bad things to, to desire, But when they become the main identity marker of our lives, then we can never put it down. We become servants of it. We can never rest from it. We can never put it down to to go out on a weekend. We can never put it down to to just be uh, restful in this life. We can never enjoy other aspects of life because it is what compels and controls our every movement. And Jesus says, put down these things and follow me. In essence, he's inviting Peter, he's inviting these guys to see that he has a mission in this world and that he wants them to join on that mission and he calls them to be fishers of men. What does he mean by that? To, to participate in the work of rescuing others in this life. How's that for true meaning in life? Praise God, what a joy it is that he just doesn't call us to sit on the sidelines in whatever career path we've chosen, but Jesus actually invites us to infuse mission in every aspect of our lives. And it's only when we realize that there's actual fishing to go beyond the type of fishing that Peter's doing. It's only when we realize there's actual work to be done beyond just the work that we do in our nine to five jobs. It's only when we realize that there's eternal significance beyond our worldly success, there's meaning beyond our ambition that we can fall in line with this type of mission. We can realize that we can participate in the work that God is doing in this world. You see, mission as the church begins with our identity. Realizing that our identity is uh, first and foremost as God's fellow workers in this world, as those who have been bought with a price by Jesus, and he now invites us then to participate in what he is doing in this world, which means we take our faith outside of the walls of the church into the public sector. We take our faith into our workplace. We take our faith into our social lives. We take our faith into our families. We allow our faith to permeate every area of our life. That's what these guys do when they follow him. But then we see the second thing he calls us to is we're not only sent out as those who are participants now in this work, we're sent out specifically to those in need. Look at the next story of verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one. 
most likely here because, because his ministry and his understanding as the Messiah had not really been fulfilled yet. So he tells them not to tell anyone. In fact, he tells them to go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, I love the ending of this because Jesus models for us that when the needs are greatest in our, time, in our lives, when things get the biggest in our lives, prayer needs to become bigger, right? Isn't it amazing that when, when the needs continue to pile up for Jesus, what does he do? He, he values prayer even more. Before that, he enters the city. He meets this man full of leprosy, and he heals this man, this leper. Now, when the Bible talks about leprosy, it's, it's talking about a, a debilitating skin disease, something that is a very severe physical disease. It's not simply a sickness that this man was dealing with, because a leper, someone who was struggling with leprosy, was not allowed to live in the towns, was not allowed to live in the cities, was actually sent out of the villages. A leper was an outcast, someone who wasn't able to hold a job, wasn't able to worship with everyone else. In essence, a leper was the walking dead, living but dead to society. Uh, when Several years ago, when my wife and I were dating, she decided to, to go uh, to India. I don't know if she was trying to avoid me or not, but she went to India for uh, three months while we were dating, and uh, she actually worked uh, in a uh, children's home there. And this is probably the, the best description of a modern-day example of this. The children's home was actually children of a leper colony. And the reason why they had to go to this children's home is because they could not go back into the normal uh, streams of society without first being departing from that leper colony. So this children's home was a, basically a, a way for them to get an education and go back in society where they were not seen as an untouchable. And here, that's precisely what is happening. This is this man's situation. He is an untouchable. He is an outcast of society. He has no way of being brought into the human community. But then we see our pastors. They're full of surprises here. Uh, the first shock is really this man's faith to walk into the city to meet Jesus. Uh, I mean, he has to understand that if he comes in the city, no one's going to touch him. But more so than that, they may stone him for doing this. And yet with faith, he, per- he proceeds to follow, uh, to go to Jesus. And like we would assume, everybody parts like the Red Sea except for Jesus. And then we see the next shocking turn of events. When he comes to Jesus, Jesus doesn't keep his distance. He doesn't say from a distance, I will be clean. He touches him. He embraces this man. He doesn't have to touch him to heal him, right? Jesus doesn't have to to touch this man in order to heal him. But the reality is this man probably has not felt a human's touch in a really long time. And the Son of God embraces him. What he's demonstrating here is not only just a physical healing, but he's demonstrating his compassion for us. Not only is he healing this man physically in this moment, but he's healing him emotionally. Jesus' touch here is essentially saying, I'm bringing you back into community. I'm bringing you back into the human community. You're no longer an outcast. You can come in. Now, I think there's a few takeaways for us as we think about a church on mission from this story. The first is this, that Jesus seems to be attracted to people who have great need, and so should we. Jesus seems to be attracted to people who are of, of great need, people who are on the outskirts of society, people who, who uh, the world as a whole perhaps thought were losers. And I know when you think about D.C. culture, it's actually a culture that loves to change the world, right? Everybody comes here to want to do that in some form or fashion. Uh, we actually have a high, high volunteer rate of people who want to help others in the city. But it's more than just volunteering to help others. There's a lot of organizations in D.C. that can do that. A lot of organizations in D.C. that want to help the poor. They want to cause us to volunteer to help that. 
where the church is to model after Jesus Christ here, who not only just helped others, but he actually leveraged his time to be with others. He would hang out with them. He would reach out to them. He would spend time with others. And these were not just the people he could network with. These weren't just the A-listers of society. These weren't just the people that he wanted to hang out with because of his self-interest. But Jesus models for us that as a church, we are to go out from these walls to truly love our neighbors, which means the people in our path, the people in our community, the people next to us, we are to embrace like Jesus embraces this man. Regardless of what job title they hold, regardless of how many social media followers they have, regardless of what they can do for us, we should be willing to inconvenience ourselves for others. That doesn't always mean it's going to be just someone who's in an economic crisis. It doesn't always just mean it's, it's people who are socially on the margins of society. It could simply mean a coworker who just doesn't have a lot of friends. Someone who's just going through a really tough time right now in life. Someone who just needs someone to, to hold them, to care for them, to talk with them. This is what it means to love our neighbors, to be willing to inconvenience ourselves for others. While we were uh, in, in Lebanon, uh, specifically when we were in Beirut, we met a, a pastor who uh, is doing just incredible work in the city. And much like the story of King's Church, over the last few years, the, the, the church has just exploded there. Uh, literally exploded, like, like quadrupled in size. And one of the things that he attributes to this, ultimately the grace of God working in his people, but one of the things he attributes to this is that they just simply said, there's needs to be met in our community, we're going to meet those needs. And following the blast in Beirut in 2020, they began to, to rebuild homes. They began to meet the needs of the people. Whatever the, the greatest needs of their community, they simply said, Lord, use us to meet those needs. And what God did was, was increase their, their, their uh, faith and their, the growth of their church in a powerful way. And it's an example for us that if we look at church history all the way back, it is in the hardest times, it is in the most needy times of economic crisis, of pandemics, of wars, of all the things like that, that the church steps in the gap and makes the most profound impact in society. It's always the case. And God blesses the church and its growth when we step in the gap to help others. When we lead courageously through the hardest of times. And that's precisely our mission here in D.C. To assess, as the church, what are the needs of our community? What are the needs right in front of us? And how can we display the compassionate touch of Jesus to those around us? I think the second thing we see here is that not only is Jesus attracted to people in great need, but he is not afraid to embrace that which is unclean. If you think about this, this goes against everything in society. What Jesus does here is completely opposite of what we think about society, right? Practically speaking, we stay clean by not getting ourselves dirty, right? I try to tell my kids that all the time, like, don't put your hands in the dirt, like, if you want to stay clean, right? Medically, if something's infected, we don't touch it, because if we touch it, then we'll get infected. Religiously, if you want to be clean, you don't touch that which is defiled, if you want to say pure, spotless, clean, though God can accept you, you stay away from the messiness of people. You stay away from that which can taint you, from the dirtiness of others. But Jesus is the only person in history who, though he was clean, touches that which is unclean to make them clean. In the process, he doesn't become unclean in doing so. And I think as a church, we, we model ourselves after this. If you feel messy right now, if you feel like you're unclean right now, Jesus isn't saying sanitize yourself first. Clean up your mess first. No, he says, bring your mess to me. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will wash them white as snow. So as the church, following in the footsteps of Jesus, we should be willing to inconvenience ourselves for the needs of others. We should be willing to get involved in the messiness of life for others because it's only through Jesus Christ that they can become clean. Which leads us to our final point today. We are sent out to bring people to Jesus. Jesus. 
Look at verse 17 as he continues. And it says, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and led him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorify God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Now what we have here is a group of some really great friends, right? They realize Jesus is in the neighborhood. He's teaching. People are coming from all over to hear him. The house is full. This isn't necessarily a church service because there's people there who aren't necessarily gathering for the right reasons. <laughs> the Pharisees and scribes have come over to hear Jesus, to try to catch him in the act of saying something. And here, as these people gather to hear Jesus, these friends come and they bring their paralyzed friend. But they have no way of getting through the crowd. And so they go up on the roof and they lower him down to be right at the feet of Jesus. Now, in this moment, I, I believe that they, they had to believe that Jesus was going to heal their friend, that they would go through all this to, to bring their friend to Jesus. But Jesus was about to go much deeper than their expectations. And that's why when he sees this man, the first thing he says is, your sins are forgiven you. Now, why does Jesus address his sins first? Well, this man, although he doesn't know it in this moment, this man is suffering from two paralyzing diseases not one. Yes, he's suffering from paralyzation of his body. It's terrible. It's horrible. But there's a greater disease that could really kill him. There's one that could really destroy him. And it's one that we all suffer from. It's that we're not right with God. This man had sin between him and God and Jesus in this moment of his great, what he thought was his greatest need to be healed. Jesus in this moment was actually going to heal him of his greatest need. He was going to remove the barrier that, that can make him right with God. That's precisely what he does. You see, Jesus can heal us physically. He can heal us emotionally. He can heal us psychologically. But unless we get right with God, then we've only been healed to suffer the ultimate paralysis of our souls. That's why he goes straight to the heart of this man first. Because everything else in this man's life is based on that based on the fact that he has new relationship with God. That is only when we're pardoned from our sins. It's only knowing that Jesus loves us and he delights in us. It's only through humility and repentance and receiving that love that makes us right with God. And that is the foundation for every other way we see God work and move and shape and change us in this world. 
in a sense, is the foundation for our mission in this world. That we have to get this right. That we have to understand that there is a barrier that keeps humanity from being right with God. And Jesus steps on the scene here and he says, that I'm going to go deeper than what you see on the outside. There's something in your heart that you need to be touched and healed from. And I alone can forgive sins. I alone can make you right with God. I love Jesus' response to the Pharisees. He says, why do you question in your hearts, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? It seems like a trick question, doesn't it? Which is harder? They're both hard, right? (laughs) I think the answer is actually pretty clear. See, the Pharisees, they look at Jesus, and they probably could see that he has miraculous power. They probably looked at him, and maybe they were thinking, he's a magician. Uh, Maybe they think, man, this guy's got some, some supernatural power. He can heal, and that's pretty amazing. That's pretty awesome. But to say that he can forgive sins... That's an astonishing power, an astonishing claim of authority. That's essentially saying you are God because only God can forgive sins. And Jesus looks at him and says, right. (laughs) You're absolutely right. Which is easier, guys. He says, I want you to know this, that the healing of this man is going to showcase the proof that I actually have the authority to forgive sins. Therefore, healing the man is actually easier because it's pointing to something greater. It's pointing that I am God, and I am the one who has come to heal this land of their sins. I am the one who has come to redeem humanity. And why is it harder for Jesus to to heal us, to forgive us of our sins? Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Which means Jesus took what we are and our punishment we deserve. He became what we are so that we could become what he is and get the reward he deserves which means in our stories today, he can heal this immobilized man because he himself became immobilized on the cross. It means he can heal the leopard who was an outcast because he was crucified outside the gates as an outcast. It means he can call his disciples to say, drop your nets and leave everything and follow me because he left everything for us. He left the Father's throne. He left his glory. He came to, down to earth all for his people. The same God who does that then invites us to work with him in this world. What an incredible invitation. That not only does he bring hope for our souls, but then he unites us as a community to go and to bring others to him. That is the mission of the church. Reminding ourselves that only in Jesus can we have forgiveness of sins. Only in Jesus can we be made clean. Only Jesus can give us that ultimate identity and meaning and purpose in this life. You see, these stories, they remind us of two things that have to come together when we think of mission. One is love and one is truth. We see the incredible love and compassion of Jesus displayed in these stories. But we also see the truth that he is the only one who can provide forgiveness of sins. And the same comes together in the church's mission. We can't say we love someone and withhold truth that could rescue them because that's no love at all. And we can't say we have the truth that can rescue them but not care enough That's no mission at all. Jesus says, I'm coming along to call you guys to touch you so that then you can go and you can touch others. I'm coming along and calling you to follow me to become fishers of men with me so that church, you could then go and fish for others. I'm coming to heal you, to cleanse you so that you can go into the messiness of this world with my compassionate hand and extend the love of Christ to others. I have come to make you right with God so that you, like these friends, can bring others to me. This is the mission of the church. 
This is why King's Church, we exist. So just two brief takeaways as we prepare our hearts for communion. The first from these stories I would just say is this. If you don't know him, put your faith in Jesus today. If you don't know him yet, you can trust him today. Why should we trust Jesus? Well, do you notice in this last story here that there's nowhere written that the man asked for forgiveness of sins? And we look at the Bible and we think, well, when you look at the Bible, God doesn't just forgive our, of, of our sins unless we repent. We see here that Jesus Christ offers forgiveness of the sins to this individual. And I have to imagine that perhaps he did ask for it, but perhaps he was so broken with his paralysis that he had a fragmented, an unexpressed desire for forgiveness of sins. And Jesus does it nonetheless. He meets this guy precisely where he is in his brokenness, in his imperfection, in his inability to express the way we think he should express, which reminds us of this truth today. Jesus is passionate to give us his grace. He is eager to forgive us this morning. He is eager to bless us, even if our response isn't perfect. And today, you can trust him. You don't have to have your act all together today. You can turn to him. He invites you to trust him. And secondly, for our church today, let's make our faith public like he calls us to do. What a great challenge as we end our time here at Basis, as we celebrate God's provision of a new building. And we get to move into this new season as a church. Today we can say to the Lord, we don't just want to be a community that gathers in a new facility on Sundays, but we want to be a community that has a public display of faith. A community that says we want to go beyond the walls of whatever meeting space we have to make an impact in our city. And just as God has provided a new space for us that we can actually grow in, right? Uh, as Ben said, this is a light attendance, and I see like five seats open. So, uh, you know, not more than that, but not, not too many more. Uh, we can actually grow into a new space. It's a great reminder for us that we can pray, and we can act, and we can seek to be participants in this work so that we can fill those seats with more people who can come to know Jesus Christ. As he gives us more room to expand, it gives us more encouragement, more desire, in our hearts to be on mission, to make our faith public in this world. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.